the light of men. The life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Father, we thank you that in these next few moments you will speak to our heart. Father, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will bring truth and clarity and revelation and understanding to our lives that transforms us and conforms us into your desire, the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these moments in his precious name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Look at the cover of your outline, and I want to cover some things this morning on, uh, uh, on a pretty direct basis, and, uh, and then so we can pray together at the end. And I want to run through this again, and I am, I share with the men in discipleship, and we've been breaking this down, even in a more intense matter uh, in our discipleship time, in talking about our identity, our values, and our direction, and seeing it in all the different aspects of, of, of the Scripture and how it applies to us. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about our choices. Amen. How many know that what you identify with chooses, affects your choices in life? The things you, what you value determines choices in your life. Amen. And then those choices determine the direction that you go in your life. Would you agree? Okay. And so as we read the Word of God, I want you to hear this again. It is imperative that we understand that the Bible is not just a book of stories. It is rather the only Holy Spirit-inspired and dictated account of the acts of God amongst men to reveal His heart, to display His glory, and to reveal His purpose to those upon whom He would set His name. Because if the Bible is just stories, then it can be questioned and doubted. Many people People will tell you that. And you say, well, I believe the Bible. Well, they go, the Bible was just written by men. It's just stories. It's about that. No, it's not. It is a Holy Ghost-inspired, dictated account of God's acts among men. Praise the Lord. But when it is His own factual account of His dealings with men and the performance of His word in the, and will in the earth, then all doubt and question is erased. Stories come from imagination, but the Bible is a book of revelation. There are a lot of great stories. There have been a lot of great fictional books written about the Bible. The Pilgrim's Progress. There are different things. The, the, the Chronicles of Narnia all have a scriptural content. And, and even if you go to the extreme, you can go to J.R. Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and, and, the, and the Towers and the Hobbit. And you see all the different things in there. I, I, I like watching those movies only because they kill a lot of devils. So I like seeing stuff where you get to whoop the devil. Amen? Anyway, moving right along. But that doesn't mean that those... See, those are stories. Those, there's imagination. And you can debate that. Well, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. But the Bible is not a story. It is not fictional. It is not a novel. It is the living, breathing Word of God. Somebody ought to shout amen. Now think about it. God's Word is never meant to reduce to just merely bringing comfort and consolation to us in our times of sorrow, trial, and hardship, which it does most effectively. But it is so much more. It is a life-changing seed that transforms us and gives new birth and new life to the very fabric of who we are. When you say, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And then you read Peter's account, and he says, hey, you and I are born again by an incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God. And Jesus shared the parable of the sower when he said the sower went out to sow, and the seed that he sowed is the Word Word of God. And that word planted in the hearts of men brings forth the life of God. 
And I don't want to get way off on this, but you, inside of you there is a womb called a spirit. And when the Word of God gets into your heart, into that realm of your spirit, and takes root, it produces the life of God. That's what this does. Nothing else can do that. Everything else man has and everything else man offers to try to help us gets to the realm of your mind. It's psychological. It's counseling. It, it, it's, it, it's a rearranging the way you think. But God does something where He produces life on the inside of you. And now this transformation begins to take place from the inside out. And what happens is that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what happens is you hear the Word of God and you said, I don't understand that, but I believe that in my heart. And now that I believe that, it's beginning to help me renew my mind. And now I have a totally new perspective. I have a God perspective and a God outlook on life. Are you with me this morning? So that is so important for us to understand. The result of this happening is, is that our true identity is declared and found, restoring our value and setting us back on course, headed in the right direction of life. The Word of God was never meant to merely just comfort us and then leave us as it found us, only feeling better. It's good to give comfort. We're to comfort one another, pray with one another, uh, be with one another, support one another. We do that, but God's Word doesn't just come to comfort us and then walk away leaving us as we were. Jesus, we shared two weeks ago, and, and, and the blind man sitting by the road, Jesus didn't just go, well, I feel sorry for him. I give him a little money. Be blessed. Be comforted. Be encouraged. Come on. He transformed him. Amen? And God's Word, that's what it does to us. Every encounter that Jesus had with people was a transforming encounter. It didn't just comfort them and leave them unchanged. When you read the Gospels, it is so powerful to see that Jesus came and when He declared, He came and said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We read in John chapter 1 there that He was the light of men. He's proclaiming light into darkness. And when that light comes into darkness, it changes changes the whole surrounding. When you turn all these lights off, it's dark. Everything is hidden. But when light comes, it exposes, it reveals. The great thing about light is when you turn the light on, you find out that the devil really is a powerless enemy. And so he likes to keep things in dark. He likes to keep things hidden. But when the light comes on, you find out that you have victory. Somebody ought to shout amen. So think about this, that the purpose of God's Word is to effect a permanent change in our lives at the very core of our being, restoring our true identity, value, and direction. There is so much more than just a placebo effect of an encouraging word or a non-confrontational little homily. And, and I'm telling you, I'm kind of on a rampage on this because the more I listen to things that are going on, there, there is a nuthetic approach, a counseling approach, a, just a psychological approach to ministry today that has come in and we're so concerned about making people feel better we don't have the guts or the courage to tell them what they need to hear even with our children, the whole concept of how we parent our children and dealing with things. Pastor Dan Nally and I spent some time together. We've been friends for just uh, an enormous amount of time. And uh, he, he was sharing with me that, that as being a pastor now for 14 years and struggling with the idea of success and things going on and how to do the church, how to do ministry and different things. He's going, Pastor, I'm just getting back to this basic foundation of what preaching the gospel is all about. And I said, God bless your, your, your brave soul. Amen. Because today it's a whole other approach to things. Are you with me? 
And uh, so stay with me. And if I just tell people the word placebo, though, and I gave it to you a couple weeks ago, it comes from a Latin word that means, at the very core, it means, I will please. And many times the word placebo is that we give you something that is nothing. But it makes you think you got something that helped you. And so because you think you got something that helped you, you mentally agree with the fact that you got something that helped you, but you really took nothing. And most of our preaching is like that. We're telling you something that you think is helping you, but it's not changing your life, but you think your life is better because you heard something that you think is helping you. Don't try this. I'm a trained professional. And so we go away, and we go away, and our marriages are still failing. Our children are still failing. We're having the same problem. The church is having the exact same problems in the world. There's very little that distinguishes our home life and, and the problems that we have from the world. Hello? We have the same amount of pornography. We have the same amount of lust. We have the same amount of infidelity. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching really good. And yet, so somewhere there's been no transformational change in dealing with that. I, I shared it with the men. I'll, I'll share it with you right now. Pastor Dan was sharing some things. He said, Pastor, I just I don't understand because uh, he was getting something done and, and in, in a business doing, contracting some business there. And uh, on the counter was some flyers and some event promotion for the church that this young man went to who owned the business. And so Pastor Dan began to talk to him. Oh, I know that church. know the pastor. Blah, 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 blah. Great church. Da, 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 da. And the guy goes, yeah, man, I love going back there. He says, I got hurt in church. But since I've been going back there, I just love it because I can go there and I can do anything I want and still be accepted. And Dan said, uh, well, no, no, you don't really mean that. You can't do anything. I mean, I understand what you mean, but you can't do anything you want. No, the guy goes, yeah. Hello? Everybody, please look up here. Uh, no. No. Because that means that what Jesus, and, and I told Dan, I said, yeah, it's an amazing thing. I said, because today we don't need to be saved from the things we needed to be delivered from. That when I got saved, I was in bondage and in sin, and I needed a deliverance in my life. But now that I'm saved, I don't need to be saved from that anymore, really, because I, I can control that. Amen, and I do that with moderation. Moderation is the new Christian license to sin. And amen could have gone right there just to make me feel some love this morning. Amen. So I'll amen myself. All right. So what? The Word of God gives us identity, value, and direction through the power of resurrection, which is complete transformation. Amen? In John chapter 1, as we read it, Jesus is the Word, the light, and the life of men. Every encounter with Him brought a total transformation to the one He came in contact with. Not only did He bring change, He declared change. Think about it. In the calling of disciples, He said to them, You come and follow Me, and I will make you what you are not. I will change you. You've been a fisher of men. I will, uh, 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 you've been a fisherman. I will make you a fisher of men. I'll change you from a tax collector to someone who collects souls for the kingdom of God. Amen? 
And so his call was to completely leave what they were doing for what they would do with him and for him. And as we went through and studied about the prodigal, we found out that when we come to the Father through Christ, we must allow ourselves to be clothed and changed with His identity upon us. When we come to the Father of Christ, we, to the Father through Christ, we must be willing to accept, embrace, and live in our restored identity. And this is where I've been trying to get to. I started uh, two weeks ago and talking about what it means to be found. And the hard part is, is really learning how to live in our new identity. We talked about this morning in discipleship with the men, is that out of our own life, we do a lot of wrestling and coming to cry, and why you, can't, you, you don't get it in one prayer. We can pray with you this morning to accept the Lord as your Savior, but being saved is a process. I am saved, I'm being saved, I shall be saved. Are you with me? And so we're in this process and and we hold on and, and we press to the saving of our soul to the very end. Are you with me? And so we begin, but in that same process as we're going through this, it is a, is a process of putting off and putting on. It is renewing. It is restoring. And so as we're going through that, everything about what we identified with before we came to Christ is now being changed. It's a whole paradigm shift and a new perspective. I, I had the mind and the eyesight of the world and the way, how I was brought up, all my encounters, all my experiences, everything that happened to me. And now I come to Christ and I'm a new creature in Christ, and I have to learn to identify with the new and let go of the old. But, but that shaped me, and my mind has been formed and shaped, and so the devil goes, well, really, not all of this is that bad. So you could drag some of this over, it, it'd be okay. Well, the last time I did a funeral, I didn't see anybody dragging anything with them. Are you with me? I mean, when you pass through death, nothing from here goes with you through death. Could I get amen? But you and I are dead in Christ, and then we're baptized with Him, and we're raised in newness of life. And so the challenge comes is that I let the old pie, and now I live by resurrection. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about, is that the transformation of harvest is that when you sow a seed, it was sown in one form, but it's raised in a brand new fashion. And so now the excitement is, man, I'm a brand new life. I'm living this brand new life. I can't tell you, I'm so amazed since we, in serving the Lord, and, and years ago when we were pastoring Bieber, we got to travel around the world quite a bit, and uh, it was a crazy thing when this little community, 500 people, and getting these opportunities to go all all kinds of different places. God ordained things. Not just, you could go anywhere you want today. You can go on a mission trip, go do that. But these were God ordained assignments to go. And I remember I'm in Denmark. We had just done a television show. Bob Osterman had preached. I'd sang. And, and I'm sitting there and we go back to the house and the guy goes, the hostess goes, hey, would you give your testimony of how, what God did in life? What happened? And I go, I'm just tripping. Because I go, I know where I was when I got saved. I never, I never would have seen me in Denmark singing for the Lord in a gazillion billion years. You, could, you couldn't have convinced me. You couldn't walk up to me. Yea, I say to you, thou art called and shall sing in Denmark. Glory to God. I said, would you whatever, whatever you're having, I'll have four. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. 
Amen? You couldn't have convinced me. But the difference is, you see your life. Up until the time you come to Christ, you're seeing your life on this parallel. When God sees you, He looks down through you and what He ordained for you. I know the thoughts that I have for you and the paths that I ordained for your life. And then He gives you a glimpse of what He sees through your life. And then you part, you're you walking in that and it's on this new side. But if you're holding on to over there, you'll never get to see the new because you think somehow this is too good to let go of. I'm telling you on this side, it's better than anything you're trying to drag from the old into. Woo! Works for me. I, hope, I don't know what keeps you going. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now watch this. So why? We have to accept, when we come to the Father through Christ, we have to be willing to accept and embrace and live in our, by our restored identity. We now have new defining characteristics as to the means of our recognition and to who we are in Christ. God does not recognize you by your old. He only recognizes you as what He created you to be. This is the coolest thing about God. When God formed you, He created you with His purpose. And all He has ever seen when He looks at you and me is the purpose you were created to. When He restores you, He doesn't make new purpose for you. He restores you to what you were created for. When the Father restored the Son, when the Son left, all the Father ever saw was His Son. When He restored Him, He didn't restore Him to newness. He restored Him to what He always was. His Son. In full value, full identity, full purpose, and full direction. Could I get an amen? Now watch me this morning. So it's easy to accept forgiveness, but it is hard to live in restoration. And Sean did an amazing job last week talking about the things that we have to say and the things that we have to cut off and, and, and those four steps that he gave us. I wish I could remember them from the, off the top of my head. But you, you need to be aggressive in taking that step and moving into the transformation that God has for your life. Now listen, the son in his return to his father had completely abandoned his old identity, changing his self-perceived value and renewed his direction once again as a son. Please hear me, you and I have to do the same. Many of you think, well, Pastor, what's the journey and the encounter weekend all about? It's a weekend where you get alone with God and say, God, I give you the opportunity to help me in identifying with who I really am in you. A renewed identity. Because the devil holds you. Many of us have identified with being abandoned being rejected in our youth being devalued unappreciated unaccepted dealt with failures and mistakes and that was our identity before we came to Christ and the problem is is that old identity never loses its voice and through those things that happen to us that begins to shape us and if you listen to those kind of voices for too long, that kind of an identity of a victim mentality begins to lower your value of yourself. And you don't see yourself worthy or able or competent enough to rise above the negative identity that's always been attached to your life. 
And the devil goes, I can keep you bound if I can keep you looking at your old identity. If I can keep you believing that you are not free, that you are the abused one, that you are the abandoned one, that you are the rejected one, that you, are, you were not the favorite one, all the different, it doesn't matter what it is, that you were the addicted one, that you were the failure one, you were the bad child. I was the bad child. Amen. I was the favorite child, but I was the bad child. Amen. My brother never got in trouble. I was always in trouble. But because I thought it was fun, I got out of it easier. Are you with me? I don't know what that has to do with anything, but that ministered to somebody. Hallelujah. So now why? Let me share something with you with the gospel. And if I can help you this morning, say, Pastor, why are you preaching like this? And why are you declaring this to us? Because I've never, it's been very seldom, and over the years I've preached on a lot of different things. And I felt like maybe the Lord would have me to deal with some things and maybe even write about them and record them. Never have I had anything press upon my spirit like this that I'm sharing with you. And I've actually begun the process of writing a book for this. I've said I would do that. I was going to do it with the transformation of harvest. I was going to do it with the choice is mine. I was going to do it with blessed, broken, and given. I was going to do it with seasons of opportunity and times of purpose. And all those things come together. But everything is knitting together in this one principle right here. In this very easy principle of identity, value, and direction. And where it's not just for our individual life. Can I share with you that the world is trying to give a new identity to the kingdom of God? We're being told that God is a God of love. Not a God that has a standard or has a word, but God is just a God of love. And therefore, as a God of love, He condones all behavior and accepts all behavior exactly the same. No, He's not. God has always been a holy God. And so what happens is, though, because nobody likes to be unaccepted and nobody likes to be unpopular. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody likes to have favor. But my Bible says, the apostles said, listen, the, the apostles said, we are the offscouring of the world. We bring the only message of redemption that the world has. And when you bring the message of redemption, you're rejected for it. But the church has bought into the psychology of the day and we're given a new identity to be, don't confront, just say nigh, just kind of let everybody find your, there are many paths to God. You can find God your way, you can approach your way. And so we do all that instead of just staying with the Word of God. Are you listening to me? And so then when we do that, then that changes our value and that changes the direction that we take. We're being told, and it's being taken all the way down. Now listen, if it's a, th this is what struck me. Jesus gave one parable, essentially, about what it means to be lost in Luke chapter 15. And if that's what it means to be lost, and that's how the enemy gets you lost. And when he restores us, then giving all that back is what it means to be restored, to be born again, to be brought into life with Christ. When we hear about the life of God and this new life, then it means that I have a completely restored identity. I am no longer, the world may never see me as valuable, but I am valuable in my Father's eyes enough to be completely restored, and I'm given back a direction that nobody can take away. Amen. 
And so in doing this, so as a pastor, I've been going back and thinking about this, and this is what Pastor Dan was wrestling with, and we had a great time. We just were going back and forth for three hours. We sat on the patio at Chipotle's there in Roseville, and we just had a blast. And next thing you know, we've been, we've been talking about God for three hours. It was a blast. It is awesome. And, and, and we're both being pulled in the same direction. And it comes back to what we're called to do. Many of us have heard that people are called to preach. Well, if you're called to preach, what are you called to preach? You're either going to preach a, 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 a self-improvement, self-promoting, self-feel-better message to make people feel better about the condition that they're in. And it's like I said a while ago, your life could be a pile of dog dew and I could put sugar glaze on it and tell you it's an apple fritter, but it's still a pile of dog dew. And so if I'm sugarcoating poo, it's still poo. Are you listening to me? And the church has bought into that lie. As long as we sugarcoat it and make everybody, as long as they feel good going out, if we can get them to come in and feel good, then when they go out, they'll come back here for another good feeling. But a good feeling isn't what Jesus came for. Jesus came for a transformation. He didn't go to the cross. He did not think about that. He said, this is how valuable you are to me. I fully identify with your sin that I will become exactly like you so that I can take your sin upon you, the thing that has robbed you of your value with God and being able to walk with God, I identify with it completely. So I will take that and I will pay the full value of your transgression and I will allow myself to be directed into judgment on your behalf so that I can come out on the other side and when I come out, if I go in for you, I come out for you. And because I went in for you I came out for you and now I'm inviting you into who I am on your behalf and you have to see yourself in Christ fully forgiven fully restored and fully directed back into a life with God shout amen somebody hallelujah open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 1 Pastor Dan would tell me, he goes, you know, Pastor, he said, we used to be pretty narrow. We used to preach like they're pretty narrow. And then we felt, you know, maybe we ought to open this up a little bit. I'd be more accepting, more embracing. And, and then, you know, we'll come in covertly the later time on Wednesday night or in a class, and we'll bring in the narrow stuff. And so we did that, and they got a bunch of people in, and then they brought the narrow stuff. He goes, I've never answered so many questions in my life. People were freaking out. I said, well, I've just resolved to freak him out from the beginning. And if they stay, then you got them. Amen? So, because I said, we did that. I said, I did that years ago. I said, people were coming and saying, Pastor, we're bringing our friend years ago. We, we, we'd just only been in our building a couple years. People can Pastor, I bring my friend, but our services are too intense. You, you're just too intense. I said, okay. So I said, we'll try. And I tried. I was genuine. I tried. But then when it, one morning, the Holy Ghost said, hey. I said, yes, sir. He said, this isn't what got you here. I said, okay. Because... What, what happened is, is I let people speak to me, 
And say, you know what? The identity that God gave you, because to preach means to proclaim. It means to be a herald. It means that you're under assignment. A message has been given to you, and you've been dispatched to proclaim the message. You are not the, you, you are not the one giving the You're just the messenger. And, and so you go with that, and so you proclaim, but you have to stay true to your identity. Because what happens to young pastors today, they're being, if you're a good pastor, then your success is defined by your numbers, not your obedience to your call. And so if you want to be successful, move off of obedience to your call and the message that God gave you to preach. And start preaching a message that more people will embrace. Every time Jesus preached, people ran him out of town. Don't shout amen. All right. Now, 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 don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean, and I said this with the guys this morning. If you get down and talk with me, I'm very good. But when it comes to preaching, yes, I am intent. Because I am on an assignment. And there is no middle ground with the gospel. There's no, I'm not going to let anybody tell you that there's an easy way this is it. Come to Jesus and your life will be a better. No, I was made for war, which means that when you say yes to God, it means that you know how to do battle. You know that God will equip you. You're fully aware that you are going to have adversity in life. Jesus said, do not fear. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So while you're going through it, he pulled his disciples together and said, hey, people are going to drag you into court and they're going to bring you before magistrate. Your family's going to turn against you. But don't be afraid. The Holy Ghost will be with you. But today, we don't even like the Holy Ghost. So we've kicked him out of our services because we've got too dignified with our education. All right, stay with me. How did I get so far off on this? Identity, identity. Can I read this to you? Well, thank you for that. Yes, I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I said Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul said, listen to what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of, listen, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 2 says that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God by His mercy has saved us. That means He has brought us from death to life. You're not going to do that with a self-improvement message. It has to be a message that brings you back to life. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sin. When I preach, I am fully aware that I have this space of time to maybe raise somebody from the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, are you there? Wow, I'm almost out of time. Anybody give me five minutes? Well, three people give me ten minutes. Wow, 30 minutes in a heartbeat. I love that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, watch this, watch this. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in the craftiness, nor handling the word of God how? Deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? 
perishing and lost, whose minds the God of this age. Everybody say the God of this age. Please look up here. There's still an adversary to your soul. His name is Satan. He is a fallen angel. He is the God of this world. And he is the adversary of your soul. And if he can, he will blind your eyes and your mind to the truth. To keep you there. What? Who do not believe, lest the, listen, we read that Jesus was the light that shined in darkness. Amen? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for His sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God, and not of us. The gospel is the gospel of power unto salvation. Amen? And we sang about that even with Rita Springer. Listen to me, church. There is something about being called to prayer. I was made before. We come, we were singing Joel chapter 2 that we will weep between the porch and altar. Pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters. But we maybe get 10, 20, 15 people to come out on a Sunday night to do what they sang about. To weep between the porch and the altar with fasting and prayer and say, God, pour out your Spirit upon this land and upon our county. If we believed what we sang and just did what we sang, we would have a revival in America. Somebody ought to shout amen. And we sang about the face of Jesus this morning and all these things, and it's right here in the gospel, but somewhere we have to take that and apply that. Are you with me? So let me define the true identity and purpose of the church and ministry. We are, friend, this is on a pastoral level that this chapter is written. We are first and foremost servants of Christ, having been entrusted, as Paul said, with the mysteries of God. We are not mystic, and es- which are not mystic and esoterically explained, but rather those things which had not previously been revealed, yet now are through Christ. Paul says the mysteries of God, just things that hadn't been revealed yet. These are not lofty, noble ideas that can only be understood and explained by a small group of initiates and then disseminated to the lesser people in some kind of papal discourse. That's Gnosticism. We must first understand that we are servants of Christ and then stewards of this mystery. A steward is one put in charge of his master's treasure and property. He doesn't create it, did not earn it, and he does not own it but is responsible to look after it and to disperse or manage it according to the directions of his master. That's what makes him a servant, fulfilling those requirements. As a pastor and ministers, we are entrusted with the task of being stewards of the gospel to guard and to protect its integrity by the help of the Holy Spirit. We carry the awesome task of conveying its truth to the people in such a manner that it feeds their soul, lifts their spirits, enlightens their path, builds their faith, strengthens their resolve for the task of living their lives conformed to the truth which it contains in spite of the adversity which will come their way when they do. What's that mean? When you choose to live for God, adversity comes. But the true preaching of the gospel teaches you how to stand. Amen? Now my question and and my answer will be when I get all done, if you've been here coming very long, have I given you anything that has enabled you to stand? 
Have you learned how to endure, endure persecution? Have you learned how, to, having done all to stand, stand, being able to stand in the evil day? That's my responsibility. Amen. Our task is to be shepherds. How do shepherds feed their sheep? Not in the manner of some thing. On special occasion, you will find a shepherd bottle feeding a lamb, which may be having difficulty. But the norm is for the shepherd to lead the sheep to green pastures where they can feed and nourish themselves. Are you following me this morning? Therefore, it is incumbent of the pastor to lead the people into the pastors that allow them to benefit from the teaching of God's Word. The role of the pastor is not that of nursing or spoon-feeding by providing them with slick little answers to the fill-in-the-blank Christianity of the day. How do you like me now? It is imperative that we don't come away with a simplified idea that all the gospel is for is to fill in the blanks in the questions of my life. When you come to God, it's not just, God, I need an answer. I need No, I'm not here to give you an answer to a blank in your life. I'm here to declare to you, Jesus Christ died, and there's a new life for you in resurrection life in the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. And I invite you to cross over. Amen? Hallelujah. So that we don't come away. Hear it. It's imperative that we don't come away with the simplified idea that all the gospel is for us to fill in the blanks in the questions of my life where we search for the tidbit answers without any life transformation. If we succumb to this approach, then we will not be able to enable people to give an account for the hope that is in them. The goal is to be a Bible teaching church which will produce a Bible reading people and a Bible living people. In 1990, Sangster said in Great Britain, he said, preaching is in the shadows. The world does not believe in it. In the 21st century, we could say preaching is in the shadows. The church does not believe in it. Two modern streams of thought have crept in to our church's identity today. One is that we cannot just give ourselves to preaching because we've decided that preaching doesn't do much good. And we're not going to give ourselves to preaching because people don't listen to preaching anymore. I just, Pastor Dan went to church with his brother and his brother said, hey, we're trying this new method. It's glad you're here visiting uh, and we'd love to have you preach. And, uh, but you have 15 minutes. Dad said, I can't even say hello in 15 minutes. <laughs> If somebody would invite me to preach, say you have 15 minutes, I'd leave. Because one, it says you have no regard for the Word of God. You have more regard for a movie than you have for the Word of God. To tell me that people can only listen to 15 minutes of preaching means you're off course. You've lost the value of preaching. You don't understand preaching. You don't understand your call. And you have missed it by a mile. Amen? But that's me. Therefore, there is a search... In the church for new methods and methodology, technique and technology, excitement and flair to supplement the gospel, for it is no longer the answer to a lost and dying world. It has lost its power and must be undergirded and supported on the crutches of our endeavors. You didn't know I was this smart, did you? There's a psychology today that has crept into the church which states this. Here's where we are. Monodirectional preaching. Monodirectional communication. We're being told that it only reinforces beliefs, attitudes, and convictions that are already held, but can only very rarely affect a change in people's opinions. 
All we have to offer as a preacher is a monotheistic message, which is the doctrine of only one God who has one way for us to follow, one truth for us to know, and one life for us to live. Are you with me still? Pay attention. The message of the day has become that we need to give up the monologue and take up the dialogue. So people are moving away from hearing the gospel preached to wanting to engage in dialogue. But think about this. When in fact true preaching is a dialogue. It is a dialogue that takes place between the Spirit of God and the listener. Through this whole service, while I have been preaching to you, God has been speaking to your spirit. And you're deciding, and and you're having a debate with God. The Holy Ghost is talking to you, and you're having to debate with God. You're not debating with me. You're debating in your spirit. There's been a dialogue going on through this whole service. You had a dialogue in worship. Well, that's saying to express myself in worship. That's saying, and you're dialoguing. Well, I don't do this. And the Spirit of God is trying to move you, and you're having an argument with God. So true monologue preaching creates a dialogue in the heart of the listener between their heart and the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Or in other words, while the message is being preached, there's a divine dialogue going on in the hearts and souls of men. God has ordained that through this monologue of preaching, it would enact in the Spirit realm a divine dialogue between the heart of man and God and in his divine purpose he reveals the heart of man to himself and then people I've had to have people come out, how did you know that about me how could you, that's exactly what God was saying to me so in other words there was a dialogue in your heart that even got you here today amen and preaching brings confirmation amen thereby they experience either conviction or confirmation from the Lord through this foolishness called preaching Think about it. There's no way any individual could have enough insight and clarity to address the variety of needs within a congregation without divine intervention and interjection of the Spirit. There's no one clever enough to think of the great panorama of human need and then be able to apply the Scriptures to meet the vastness of the variety contained within the confines of just a single congregation let alone the needs of our world. Yet the Word of God, when preached with clarity by the unction and anointing of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to do just that. It is in itself a great mystery. The only tool we have is to preach. Amen? Man thinks that he can avoid conviction of his heart when it comes through the dialogue in his soul by arguing and debating and challenging the message and dialogue with the message. I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I don't agree with that. I said, hey, I could care less. I'm not here for you to agree with me. I was just minding my own business. I was like the man who was blind on the side of the road. I was like Matthew. I was like Peter. I was minding my own business. And then God called me into the ministry and He called me to preach. And the Spirit of God moves on me and I can stand before you when I'm preaching and as clearly as Ezekiel had written and the Word of the Lord came unto me saying, I'm on an assignment from God to declare the Word of the Lord to you. This This is not my word. If it was my word, we could dialogue and debate and you could talk me down or I could try to berate you and beat you down. But I'm not here to dialogue with you. I'm here to proclaim. I am a herald. I am a John, if you would, the Baptist. I'm trying to prepare the way of the Lord into your heart. And if I will preach under the anointing and the conviction of God, then the conversation and the dialogue taking place while I'm speaking to you in a monologue form will prick your heart to its very core and you will say, what? 
what must I do to be saved? And God will break through on your life. Amen. Woo! Now let me help you. If we buy into the modern idea that we must give up on the monologue and go for the dialogue, then we must also conclude that Jesus made a real blunder in the matter of his ministry. He was a herald, one sent to cry aloud and proclaim the message. Here's where we are today. Bill, you come back to the piano. There's a theological change that's taken place in, the believe, in believing that Christian ministry is analogous to a marketing exercise. And I'm all about, I, I'm, I'm good for advertisement. I'm thankful for all the resources and things. Don't misunderstand. Use everything you can. Make means of every resource we can. But don't give up on the truth. Are you listening to me? Let, let me say this to you. Don't apologize for being a real believer. Don't apologize for feeling like, like, like you're out of the norm. There used to be an old t-shirt. Christian t-shirt. It was a cool t-shirt. It had a bunch of dead fish and then one little live one. And the caption was, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim up. Anybody can go with the flow of the world, guys. But the moment you stand for God, you've taken a stand in the opposite direction. Pastors are being brought into this today. This is the analogy. There's a product that's called the gospel. There are consumers that are called the congregation. There's a salesman, that's the preacher. Now it's the job of the salesman to overcome consumer resistance and to get them to accept the product. The major flaw in this is that the preacher cannot overcome consumer resistance because the gospel is veiled from those who are resisting it. When you preach the gospel and people don't hear it, we read it this morning, that there are a certain amount of people whose eyes are blinded. And there's a veil. If you read the book of Acts, there were scoffers. There were mockers. There were, there, there, there were people who, made, who were perplexed. And then there were such as were being saved. And your goal and my goal is just to preach. And the devil says, hey, your identity as a believer is to be liked. And so if you tell or point out people what the gospel says, if you're too direct with the gospel, they won't like you. And you'll lose value in their eyes. So he can shift you off of your direction of being a witness for the Lord. Are you with me this morning? Communication experts try to tell us that the parable of the sower is not about one sower and four soils, but about four sowers and one soil. That if you and I were better at preaching, we'd get a better harvest. That's not what we're called to do. That's a total antithesis of the story. One word, four conditions of hearts. And you and I have no power to change a heart. Only the Holy Ghost can touch and change a heart. The Bible tells us that no man comes unto the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Any, and it says on the day of book of Acts, that as many as were being saved were added to the church. The Lord added daily. Amen? So think about this. We want to make best use of all of our faculties and facilities. But the problem with the view of marketing is that the Christian conversion is not a product of human persuasion, but of the manifestation of divine grace. When you and I got saved, it was by great grace.
and you're here today sometimes we battle with where we stand how we live God is calling I believe we're in an hour right now when God is calling his church back to its true identity and God's raising up a people Paul, Paul started out like this he says I'm not ashamed of the gospel it's the power of God unto salvation because when I preach there will be those who will hear and there are some of you here today that have lived under the shadow of old identity and you wrestle with letting go to get in and how do I why, is, why does this have to be bad it's not that it's bad it's that it's the old and as long as I choose to identify with the old please hear me this morning I cut myself off from the new because the gospel says die to live and I have one message I have one responsibility is to call you from death to life we talked about it Sunday morning or last Tuesday and there were multitudes thronging Jesus but only a handful getting answers multitudes were always around but every now and then someone got an answer because every now and then someone got it are you listening to me they understood what was happening and faith came alive and faith always got an answer bow your heads with me this morning Father this morning every person in here has an identity in you they were formed by you and for you Lord, every person is at a different place in their walk with God, in their encounter. There may be somebody here today, Father, who has never received your forgiveness and your restoration in their life. And you brought them here today only to confirm what you've already been speaking to their hearts. They've been in a dialogue with you, but you brought them here to affirm and confirm what you've said to them to bring them to this place to find your restoration and your forgiveness. Father, there might be others here who have been embraced by you and walked with you, but it's been so hard to live in restoration. The enemy's tried to rob them, keeps causing them to look back at the hurt and the pain of their past. And they live...